we need to get back to um, to a normal process where lawmakers work together to come up with bills where there's a strong majority in the House and Senate that pass it and the preponderance of those bills are enacted into law. Many significant bills would have become law and Maine would be a better place if not for these vetoes. That was NRCM's advocacy director, Pete Desheim. In this episode, Pete reflects on the successes, setbacks, and silver linings of Maine's 128th legislative session. For the record, the session hasn't ended yet as of this recording. I'm Carly Peruccio, host of the podcast, and you're listening to Maine Environment with NRCM. The 128th legislature is almost, almost almost done. NRCM staff has worked on dozens of bills, and I'm hoping that this conversation can be a chance to talk about some of our work, and maybe we can start with accomplishments. Uh, the legislature is almost done. They um, still have a few issues to deal with, but they're not the major environmental issues. So our work is done at the State House, and there were a number of big accomplishments. Uh, one of them was the passage of a $30 million water bond. We worked hard on that. That's a really important uh, issue. Uh, Maine people love clean water. They want their water to be as clean as possible. Uh, we have about a billion dollar backlog in wastewater treatment uh, upgrades that are necessary to reduce raw sewage from going into the ocean. We still have about 500 million gallons of raw sewage annually going into Penobscot Bay, Casco Bay, Frenchman Bay, and this money will help put a dent, move a little ways in the direction of, of the highest priority in, uh, investments in, in clean water infrastructure. So this is for clean water. It's also going to create jobs. And because it was passed, uh, it will be on the ballot in November. So this is going to be an issue that will be before Maine voters on the November ballot. And then the next one is Reggie. And that acronym is? <laughs> the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. So this is a, an action that is, is very positive. The legislature uh, is keeping Maine within this regional effort to reduce climate pollution, climate changing pollution. And uh, this is a good thing. So we're going to stay in it until at least 2030 with stricter goals. And so we worked on that. We're pleased that the legislature uh, acted almost unanimously in, uh, in both chambers. So that was, it was very good. And how many states currently are in Reggie? Uh, there's nine states, I believe, yeah. and a couple more that are considering joining. Uh, so it's it's growing and successful, growing. and it's a it's one of the best uh, examples of a regional effort to reduce climate pollution. Yeah, it's a group we want from, to be in. And this yeah. is from power uh, power plants, so it's, it doesn't do anything about transportation related carbon pollution, but it's focused on carbon emissions from power plants. And so we'll switch now to our sustainability project, and we worked on a bill related to food waste. And can you tell us more a bit about that? Sure. So. A somewhat significant bill passed on food waste. Uh, it's a step in the right direction. We had mm-hmm. a fairly ambitious bill that uh, that had multiple parts and at least um, got the conversation going at the state house. Like every state, uh, there's a large volume of food that's wasted at every level of society: homeowners, restaurants, uh, institutional institutions that prepare food. So this was an important first step in the direction of increasing the Department of Environmental Protection's involvement in working with the public and working with institutions that generate uh, a lot of food to uh, to access resources on ways to reduce the amount of of food that they're wasting and to help ensure that some of that food um, gets into the hands of those who are hungry uh, to help address the 
issue of food insecurity in the state, Absolutely. which is a big issue. Right, so there's more work to be done, but this was Yeah, a, we anticipate yeah. a, a follow-on bill next year that will pick up from where this one left off. Sure. Left off. And so the food waste bill is an example of a proactive piece of legislation. Yeah. And of course, there were many sort of rollbacks that we had to fight against. And so maybe we could talk yeah. a bit about that. Sure. So we've been dealing with uh, assaults on our landmark environmental laws for the last eight years. Uh, so a big part of our work, NRCM's work over the last eight years, has been defensive. And we have, uh, working with our allies, other organizations, We've defeated more than 100 bad bills, and there was yeah. a lot of bad ones this year. So one of them dealt with uh, um, electric vehicles, uh, putting a tax on electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles. It was going to be a $250 tax on, annually on, on electric vehicles, 150 on hybrids. Huge number of people turned out to, to describe that as, as being unfair to those who were trying to reduce their dependence on fossil fuels. Bills like this have passed in a number of other states, so it's significant that we defeated it here. We saw another bill this year to try to weaken our bottle bill. Maine has a highly successful uh, bottle bill that has been in place for many years. Uh, this was the f- maybe the 40th year uh, of the bottle another bill. another bill. Another bill yeah. every year every for year. for multiple years in a row now. The bottling industry, Coca-Cola in particular, uh, the wine and distillery industry have tried to weaken the bottle bill. Uh, this year, fortunately, uh, they defeated uh, this rollback again. We saw another bill this year to, um, to block the ability of towns to regulate pesticides. That would have been uh, another example of, of a bill that has passed in other states. Here in the state of Maine, we have uh, more than 30 communities that have taken action to reduce and regulate the application of pesticides in their community to help protect their, their residents, to help protect clean water, uh, to reduce the, the contaminants and toxics in their environment. So. The reason we have defeated 100 bills over the last eight years is because we have outnumbered uh, the proponents of those bad bills. So uh, this year, 400 people weighed in on the uh, pesticide rollback bill. 400. 400. Now, they didn't Mm -hmm. all show up at the hearing. The hearing was packed, but there was just, they they communicated to the committee. Um, The number of people who were involved in the solar bill, every time they just show up, they'll show up for a rally, they'll show up in bad weather, they'll show up at the hearing, they'll... They'll show up at news conferences, and that is just, it's wonderful, and I shouldn't be surprised, but it's, but it's a nice surprise. Same thing was true this year with the electric vehicle and hybrid tax. Uh, we had the American Automobile Association weighing in against it. We had dozens of people showing up uh, who, who just felt it was unfair and inappropriate and poorly developed and being pushed by the fossil fuel industry that want to just keep us addicted to fossil fuels. So it was, they came with passion in big numbers and, and they absolutely had the impact we wanted, which is the, legis- the lawmakers of that committee voted ought not to pass overwhelmingly and the bill was killed. I do want to continue on talking about solar, so I'm sure this is familiar to our <clears throat> listeners. The biggest appointment of this, disappointment of this session was we, uh, we passed a solar bill once again with bipartisan support in the House and Senate, and then it was defeated yeah. because of the governor's veto. And we had a really strong vote in both chambers. It was unanimous in the Senate, well over the two-thirds majority needed to pass uh, for a veto override, and then we lost when six people, Republicans in the House, flipped their votes and voted against the exact same bill that they days earlier they had voted for. 
we see it repeatedly, but every time I am shocked that they will vote one way on a, on a solar bill, and it's not just on solar, it's on so many of these different bills sure. that the governor vetoes. Yeah. And then the exact same bill comes back in front of them, and they change their position. That I don't understand how you can be um, true to yourself and honest with your constituents in saying, I voted for it until I voted against it. In some, t- some cases, it's just like very, you know, maybe a week or two passes and their vote changes. Is this session the time to ask why or not <laughs> a different conversation? Well, I mean, sometimes. I mean, so one of the big disappointments uh, was right here in Augusta, Matt Pouliot. He's a, a moderate Republican legislator, supportive of our issues. He's voted for a pro-solar uh, bill every single time, except this time he flipped his vote and the governor uh, offered him some special bill he was looking for. There's generally some horse trading or okay. or pressure or bullying or um, commitment to help them in some way on a bill or on a, on a committee assignment, and that persuades them. So they just abandon the their principles or their 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 policy position and and are persuaded to change the vote, which which. Um, it's difficult to see, and that's a surprise. And so we lost, uh, once again, just short of the two-thirds uh, necessary to override the governor's veto on solar. So that was um, disappointing, um, but we know that the people of Maine yes. overwhelmingly support moving forward on solar policy, and we know that a overwhelming majority, bipartisan uh, majority of the House and Senate also want to move forward. So. Um, we will keep at this until we win, and we're confident that we will win next time around. So there was a bill that just uh, was defeated uh, yesterday. Um, the governor had vetoed it. It was introduced by uh, Representative Lydia Bloom. It would establish a commission that was going to study the impacts of sea level rise and storm surge on coastal communities to identify the big risks, the vulnerabilities of infrastructure, the need for investment, the need for uh, better planning, uh, better zoning, uh, better preparation, and this bill passed um, this session and, and last session, and and ultimately had the same outcome. The governor vetoed it, and uh, it didn't get the two thirds necessary in the house to 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 override his veto. So that was a disappointment. Also, again, this is one where. We think we will uh, eventually win on this. And you said the veto for that was yesterday. Just yesterday, yesterday. there was. 43 vetoes that the House and Senate dealt with yesterday. 23 of them uh, were overridden and 20 of them were not. And this Coastal uh, Commission was, Impacts Commission was in the 20 that didn't make it. Yeah, and I should add that when we say yesterday, I mean, today is July 10th. And, right. you know, so yesterday there were 43. Yes. And I, I'd like to maybe have a sort of discuss this in context of this administration as a whole. 43 vetoes yesterday, that's a lot. Um, that's a lot. Can we, so can you talk about right. this pattern that has been a problem for the past eight years? Yeah. So this governor has vetoed, by my count, and I've worked with the law library to, to, yeah. to track this down, uh, 637 bills he has vetoed in, in the last eight years. How does that compare? So um, the previous governor, Governor Baldacci, vetoed five in eight years, five over eight years. Uh, Angus King uh, vetoed 51 in his eight years in office. And, uh, and looking back at, at the, as far back as records go, back to uh, 
uh, Governor Carl Milliken, who was before Percival Baxter. Uh, he started in 1917. From 1917 to 2010, when, when uh, Paula Page was elected, there were only 458 vetoes total, total. Uh, over a 90-year period. And uh, Paula Page has vetoed 200 more than that uh, in, eight, in years. Eight, years. eight years. And that is incredibly disruptive to the process. It is disrespectful of all the people who participate in the legislative process, who have shown up to hearings, who have, who have contacted their legislators. It wastes money when legislators have to come back day after day for special sessions to, to override those vetoes. And it, and it demonstrates a, a real lack of understanding, appreciation, involvement in the legislative process. Um, it's been so disruptive and so wasteful, and we need to get back to, um, to a normal process where lawmakers work together to come up with bills where there's a strong majority in the House and Senate that pass it, and the preponderance of those bills are enacted into law. Many significant bills would have become law, and Maine would be a better place if not for these vetoes. Looking ahead, what are you paying attention to, and what is NRCM focusing on as we you know, have concluded this session and we're looking ahead sure. to the next? So this is an election year, and yep. uh, so come November, uh, every member of the, of the House of Representatives and every, every seat in the Senate will, will be up for a vote. Uh, we have term limits, so there's going to be a really big change in the number of people. So a, a, at least a third of the Senate uh, will be new members. More than a quarter of the House will be new members. Um, without getting into all the numbers, there'll be at least 50 brand new legislators who've never served before. So between now and, and January, um, certainly right after the election, we're going to be f trying to figure out who are these people. Um, where are they from? Uh, do they value the environment? Uh, how do we have conversations with them? Who, do, who among our members and supporters live in their districts so that we can build up the sort of, of relationships and conversations that are important to help them understand the importance of various bills that will come up next year? Of course, the governor's race will have a very significant outcome. Uh, on our ability to, to move a positive environmental agenda forward, uh, regardless of, of who wins the gubernatorial race. Um, we will actively work as hard as we possibly can to, to get Maine moving in, back in a positive direction, no longer beating up on, on uh, the environment that we love so much. As I've told people, this governor for eight years has tried to drive a wedge between Maine people and, and the environment they love. He largely has failed, but it has taken enormous effort to do that. And the time has come for us to, to get back to where we were, crafting bipartisan, positive uh, legislation that, that builds on the safety net for our clean air, clean water, action on climate, protection of the Northwoods and our forests and wildlife. And I think we'll get there. And this has been just a, a very challenging eight years. So we're looking forward to the change that will come ahead. Thank you so much for listening to Maine Environment with NRCM. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play, and please visit our website at www.nrcm.org to learn more about our work at the State House and, uh, and beyond. Thanks again, and please listen next time.